0: hello and thanks for joining me on episode 12 of shelf love the podcast that uses romance novels as the text to discuss ourselves our relationships and the society that we live in i'm your host andrea martucci and this week i'm joined by lucy score indie publishing extraordinaire lucy pulls back the curtain on how she's innovating and thriving as a romance novelist and we get a delightful story about that time she met nora roberts and she also gives a fabulous impression we also talk about the obsession which is by nora roberts queen of romance the obsession is a romantic suspense novel and we discuss being a survivor and not a victim the true crime craze home renovations and the family that you choose I want to give you a heads up that the book we discuss features a serial killer and sexual violence we definitely don't get into the gory details but i want to let you know especially if you decide you want to pick up the book stick around until the end because lucy announces the title of her next book that is releasing in january 2020 and i will let you know about upcoming books and guests on the podcast when i first started reading your books I guess the first one was The Worst Best Man, but then I read Mr. Fixer Upper. Oh, yeah. And you had one of these um, novella related as an add-on to that or The Christmas Fix.
1: Oh, yeah. I had – so after Mr. Fixer Upper, I wrote The Christmas Fix, which was his sister's story. And I did a bonus epilogue in the – so a link in the back of that book to this extra story.
0: Right. And I did that. I got on your email list. And I was like, oh, this is so smart because I was happy to sign up for your email list. It is Genius. genius <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You're you're a genius. <laughs> Too many people do not take advantage of email lists. Yes, because they're like, oh, I have you know X number of people on social media, and it's like you do not own your social not media at audience. All
1: that was the first bonus epilogue I did. I do them for all of the standalones I write now, and so the worst best man I released I think in January of last year, I want to say, and I did a bonus epilogue for that, and that got me from 5,000 newsletter subscribers to 30,000 newsletter subscribers. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And the common practice in the industry was to bring people into your newsletter list by making them sign up for a free book. Like they were new to you. You were giving them a free book. But in order to get it, they had to sign up for your newsletter list. And I didn't find that to be really effective because a lot of people just collect free books. They never get around to actually reading them. And if they do, it's like a long time down the road. And in the meantime, they've already unsubscribed from your newsletter list because they had no connection. So this right. was like massively successful for me. And now my newsletter list is made up of mostly people who have read at least one whole book and loved it so much they wanted more. So it's it's like one of those like cool, I don't know, extensions of the story. I went to a, a conference in Florida called Nink and it's for novelists and people in the self, well, in publishing in general. And uh, one of the workshops was about telling a bigger story, but it was kind of about what you were saying, building on to like you have your your project that you deliver, but you have all this extra stuff that doesn't necessarily fit into it. So it's taking that extra stuff and seeing how you can create more value for fans So that's the whole bonus epilogue for me, which was so cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I've worked in marketing and one of the, like, the most boring jobs I've had (laughs) in marketing is I made direct mail. So, like, junk mail. Yes. I made junk mail. Yeah. It's effective, you know? Like, it's like you get 1% to 2% response rate and it's effective, you know? There's a reason people do it. But they always say, don't give away more of the same. Like, if you have a magazine, don't give away another issue. Like nobody wants another issue. You have to give like something extra, something different. Yeah. Like a calendar. (laughs) For a variety of reasons, your strategy is really effective, not least of which is because, as you said, you're targeting people who already read your books and enjoy them and want more. But it's not another book. It's not another story. It's like a continuation of the thing they already love. Right. And it's the only place they can get it. They can't go buy it.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Lucy, who is your favorite romance novel character of all time? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I have like a million, but
1: if I have to pick one, it's Jamie from The Bride by Julie Garwood. Ooh. So it's a historical and it's set in the Scottish Highlands and it's just amazing and hilarious and <laughs> and I love it so much. It's the first romance novel I remember reading. So it's the only book I've read
0: more often than the one we're going to talk about today. I was like, well, why does this sound so familiar? And it's because this was the other book that you suggested that we read. I went for The Obsession because I haven't done a romantic suspense book yet. It is not something I read too much of so I was like oh good like let's get some variety in here yeah but I'm definitely gonna have to go check out the bride it's pretty fantastic <laughs> and did you read it like when you were younger oh was this yeah one of your
1: i was probably about 13. I was stealing my mom's romance novels off of her shelf. My parents were huge readers, and we had these like nine foot tall bookshelves in the laundry room. We had bookcases in the dining room and the living room. We would go to flea markets, and everybody would just kind of lose themselves in the used bookstand. So, mom was a big romance reader, and she actually got my dad started reading romance a couple years ago. Um, she made him read a Nora Roberts book. So now he reads all of my books, too.
0: <laughs> oh, but your website says your books are so steamy your family can't read oh no no they they read them
1: they just can't look me in the eye
0: (laughs) oh right (laughs) so you haven't looked your parents in the eye for like three years
1: yeah yeah at least but it's fine I mean it's just like an extension of my teenage years so we're all comfortable
0: with it (laughs) oh good I do think it's funny when people tell the stories when they have family members who are really into reading particularly romance it always seems like the romance novels collect in these weird places. Like you just said the laundry room. Yeah. Or I hear I hear a lot the tubs in the garage. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Oh, my gosh.
1: My family had them scattered everywhere. Uh, most of the romance was on the shelves in the laundry room. Now they've migrated into the dining room, I think, at my parents' house. And for me, I have bookcases in my office. So there that's where most of them are. And then I have a couple bookshelves upstairs in the game room. So there's more books.
0: <laughs> yeah. I always have my romance novels on a bookshelf in my room, like in my bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I usually have like my nonfiction and other stuff like in a more public space. I've been thinking about that. I'm like, I'm not ashamed of reading romance. It's not like I'm hiding it. It's like, I just want them closely accessible for when I'm like going to bed and I'm like, I just want to read something Mm -hmm. just before I go to bed. So it's like my most intimate space where I keep the ones I love the most closest to my heart. That makes sense. You started publishing, is it the end of 2016?
1: Actually, I think my first book came out at the beginning of 2015, um, in March of 2015. Actually, I I had originally written a novella. It took me like, I don't know, a year and a half. And (laughs) it was was 25 or 30,000 words. And I self-published it on Amazon, sold like 30, 35 copies. And that was it. I was like, oh, okay. I guess I'm not an author. (laughs) I will continue working. Um, But there were two indie authors who had started their own publishing label, and they reached out and said, hey, we read your novella. If you could turn it into a full-length novel, we'd love to publish it for you. So that was Undercover Love in March of 2015, my very first book. Do you still publish with that group? No, I was with them for five books, and then I just got really interested in the publishing side of things, and I said to Mr. Lucy, who was, was... Doing a lot of real estate stuff, like flipping houses and and uh, doing rentals, and I said, you know, I feel like we could do this. And I said, how would you like to be my publisher? <laughs> <laughs> and we did it.
0: <laughs> wow,
1: it was a little bumpy at first. Uh, we had a couple titles totally tank, and and I was like, I I may have made a horrible mistake. But we slowly built a following. We learned the ins and outs of just about everything and uh (laughs) so it's been it's been a really crazy journey for us but we we love it
0: yeah and that's exciting i mean you are your own bosses Mm -hmm. but it's also nice that it's it's kind of like a family industry Mm -hmm. like it's not just one of you like you're you're in it together and you can kind of like divide and conquer yeah
1: Yeah, it's, it makes us a really good team. And I love that we can sit down at the dinner table. And if I'm talking about work, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, he's because he's there. He's, he saw that bad review, or he saw the thing that Amazon did with its rankings or you know he's he's there he's invested so we so we talk about
0: work a whole lot <laughs> <laughs> but if you're passionate about it it's okay yes yeah that's what I keep telling myself <laughs> yeah I've been having a lot of conversations with people lately about like retiring mm-hmm. and my philosophy is is that like I want to be doing something professionally especially by the time I'm close to what would be retirement age where I don't want to retire because I'm so engaged in it and And enjoying it, you know, have enough flexibility in my life and I'm getting paid well and that I don't want to retire. Right. That my goal is not to suffer through something so that then I can accumulate enough money to stop doing it.
1: Right. I I definitely think that that is kind of the way life is supposed to be. So I'm in 100% agreement. I never want to retire from
0: this. So hopefully I don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you really started ramping up. You said that it took you like a year and a half to write the first novella. And yeah, I assume you, st- you started getting faster because you've released like 10 books in the last year. Like how many, how many books have you written now? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see.
1: Okay. So I think I have 22 out now. So that's over the course of the last four years. So I had one year where it was big. I don't know how I did it. I put out six books. I'm not I'm not a speedy writer, but I am very committed, <laughs> and I don't have much of a life, so there's that. Tim and I don't have kids. We don't have outside jobs, so technically, I should be writing more than just about anybody out there, but it's not necessarily my process. <laughs> <laughs> this year, I put out three books, and that's all that it's going to be, and then next year, it'll be back up to four books, and that's like my, that's my comfort zone.
0: That's still a lot of writing because you write like hundred thousand word books, right?
1: Yeah, I write really girthy books. My first release this year was a standalone, and it was one hundred thirty thousand words. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> um, it was great, and I never intend to write that long. Most of my author friends—they're—they're they're these amazing women who are like they write much faster than me and they can also tell a story more concisely than me so they they can put out like a 70 75,000 word book and it's like a really satisfying story me i'm like no no i didn't you know tie off this loose end or i'm not satisfied with that character arc yet let me add six more chapters <laughs> so
0: it's uh
1: <laughs> it can be stressful if I'm not staying in my own lane and focusing on what works really well for me. <laughs>
0: mm. Do you feel like being a lifelong avid reader, do you feel like your education in writing is mostly like intuitive from reading so many stories? And and obviously, uh, most writers are also avid readers. Or did you kind of embark on any formalish education on writing. I was a journalism
1: major in college, and that helped with, I think, the speed of my writing. It didn't really do much for me creatively, but I also took almost enough credits to be a creative writing minor. And I had some really excellent professors in college. And that kind of really opened the door to thinking about writing from a different perspective than a journalist. But I do think that the majority of what I'm capable of today comes from just being such a voracious reader for my whole entire life. My parents were teaching me to read before I went to kindergarten because books were just so important to both of them. So I can't imagine not reading. And now I can't imagine not writing.
0: Quick question. This is totally self-interested. Can you remind me, have any of your books focused on a pining hero? Yes. Yeah. And I love that. That's that's a lady jam for me. Let's see. It
1: was in my Bootleg Spring series. It was book number three, Moonshine Kiss. And the hero has been in love with the heroine for years and years she was she's his his sister's best friend but there's an age difference and back when they were teenagers it was a significant age difference she had a crush on him when she was a teenager and he rejects her
0: they always do i know
1: and that that is she's really stubborn i love a stubborn heroine so she's like fine then uh I am never having a crush on you again. So it's it's over. So he spends all of those years pining for her because he was trying to do the right thing.
0: And what was the title of that again so I can buy it immediately? <laughs> Moonshine Kiss. Moonshine
1: Kiss. All right. The thing I love about pining heroes is there's going to be something that makes them snap. So no matter how good their intentions are or how committed to not going near that heroine they are, they're, they're just going to get pushed too far. And they're not going
0: to be able to go back to just pining. Mm, Yes, I agree. That's why I love a pining hero. Yes, it's totally my catnip. So, (laughs) thank you very much. Thank you for writing. Oh, you're welcome. Your latest collaboration is with Claire Kingsley, Catherine Nolan, and Pippa Grant. And it's a series of interconnected novels about female billionaire friends called the Blue Water Billionaires, or as Kelly from Boobies and Newbies has coined, Fajillionaires. Yep. (laughs) So everybody should go listen to the episode on Boobies and Newbies on the first two Blue Water Billionaire books by you and Claire Kingsley, I believe, were the first two that came out. Yep. So how did that collaboration come about? Oh my gosh. So I talk to author friends
1: pretty much every single day. So we're either complaining about how hard writing is or we're celebrating how great it is. And the one day Pippa Grant in our chat said, I am so tired of all the men getting to have all the fun with all the money. And I have a screenshot of her. She just went on this adorable, hilarious rant. She's like, I want to write a female billionaire. And can you imagine the kind of man who would be strong enough and confident enough to fall for a woman who is a billionaire
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the rest of us were like um yes sign us up so <laughs> we actually we talked about it back and forth for a little bit and then we put it on the calendar for this year so the first three books are out now and pippa's book is coming out on friday
0: we and friday that's friday november 8th that sounds about right. Yes. Okay. Some something <laughs> like that. By so by the time this comes out, that book will be yes available in the world, and you can everybody who's listening to this can go buy it. Go get it, people. Go get go all of them. It. And are they all yep. available on Kindle Unlimited? Yes. Yep. Okay. Perfect. So if so, for all those Kindle Unlimited readers out there, just click right now. Grab those vigilianaires. <laughs> yes. Are you a murderino? <laughs> I, I don't. If that term means nothing to you, then you're probably not.
1: Okay, I probably not then. But it sounds super cool, so I would like to know more.
0: Okay, so the Murderino is the podcast, my favorite murder, which is a true crime podcast. Two comedians, uh, Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark, and. I was obsessed with this podcast probably from like three years ago to a year ago. Mm -hmm. And it's a massively successful podcast. They would kind of talk through these true crime stories. And they are comedians, so they are very entertaining to listen to. And it kind of rode this wave of true crime interest. Serial had come out before this. And I feel like there was just like a lot of burgeoning interest, particularly among women, into true crime. Mm -hmm. So The Obsession, which we're going to start talking about soon, came out in 2016, which would have been right as this wave was cresting, I guess. I know angsty romance is like really big too, but like romance is seen as like this like soft, you know, romantic. And then when you blend it, fluffy, right. (laughs) And then you blend it with like murderers. Yes. It's such an interesting dynamic but I think that like I've talked to so many romance readers who are murderinos they're super into my favorite murder and like you know the true crime stories and everything I mean so you love this book the obsession would you would you consider yourself somebody who enjoys true crime also definitely definitely
1: mr lucy and i love watching american greed there's not as many murders on that but there's <laughs> there's plenty of you know financial criminals and things like that. I And I think one of the really amazing things for me about romantic suspense is when you introduce the external conflict to those characters, they don't necessarily have to have this internal conflict that are, a contemporary romance has to have. They don't have to have the misunderstanding or the argument or the breakup, and then they Rebuild. There's this external force acting on them in this really dramatic way that provides the conflict for their story, and I love that.
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah, that is interesting, and and that's brought up a lot when you compare like contemporary to historical. Where in a historical, a lot of times just like social conventions or like class differences, or there, there can mm-hmm. be a lot of things that keep the characters apart and kind of make their relationship the earning of their relationship much harder to get to yes it can seem much more insurmountable than like contemporaries where you're like oh my god like what is keeping two adult human beings apart right (laughs) that's an interesting idea in the context of this book where a lot of the emotional beats of this story coincide with the darker elements yeah and i think the
1: the characters seem to bond more strongly because of the darker elements and
0: i just i really love that On a lighter note, before we jump into the obsession, because it's going to get dark, you just bought land to build a house on. Yes. Another theme in this book is there's like a massive home renovation going on. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier your husband was involved in like flipping houses and stuff. So I was going to ask, do you have home building or renovation on the brain all the time or just lately? But it sounds like you and Mr. Lucy have a long history of interest in houses and fixing them up
1: yes it's like a pleasure button for me seriously real estate listings um, renovations there's a, a house tour that they do every year in my area in september and builders open up their like latest and greatest houses and people can just go through them and we do that tour every year with my mom and it's just it's so much fun I don't know I remember when I was really young in elementary school my mom and I would go to the library and check out books of floor plans of houses. (laughs) So it's just, I don't know. I, I love the concept of real estate, renovation, just building this House that's going to be permanent for whatever your life is, and I I think that's so cool.
0: <laughs> mm, I've definitely done the like look at the floor plans of houses where you know like you can buy floor plans for houses, mm-hmm. and I'm like I'm like ooh that'd be nice. Like yeah. I get I get really into it too. And you know it's interesting with you being a writer where it's when you write a story you're kind of creating this world from scratch. And the idea of like building a house from scratch also, it's like, can you kind of like imagine the end product and get from nothing to that?
1: Right. And what's the editing project going to be like when it to the <laughs> <Yes. a> house? <laughs> yes. That's usually where the magic happens in the book for me, the editing process. So I'm not really – I don't think I can edit very much once it, <laughs> once the building is under construction.
0: <laughs> oh, Yeah. Well, I, I want to see pictures.
1: Okay. I will definitely be updating regularly because I'm just, I'm really excited about it. It's its going to be, for me, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. For Mr. Lucy, it might be like a two-year migraine, but he'll hang in there. <laughs> hes He's a tough guy. He's got this. <laughs> he sounds
0: like he can handle it. I think so. Hopefully. <laughs> All right. You ready to get into The Obsession by Nora Roberts? I am ready. I am here for this. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. And I do want to say on a content warning front, this book does have a serial killer who is also a rapist. And so we will be talking about stuff that happens. Yeah. And definitely if you want to read the book, you should know that going in. And it happens pretty early in the book. So yeah. The Obsession came out in 2016. It's by Nora Roberts. And I almost question does Nora Roberts need an introduction? I don't know. I mean, to me she doesn't. I but
1: I am pardon the pun obsessed with her so. <laughs> <laughs> um she's super super prolific. She's been writing since I believe the early 80s and she has over 250 books out and most of her recent ones are really romantic suspensey, so they're They're awesome.
0: Right, and she usually does a lot of her romantic suspense under, is it J.D. Robb? Yeah, that's her other pen name. That is
1: a – it's a huge futuristic – romantic suspense police procedural series that is really cool. I held off reading them for a long time because I'm very like I like contemporary romance, you know, or historical or my favorite interests are, you know, pretty well defined and my mom kept saying you have to read this. She's like it's about a cop in the future and I'm like uh, um okay. <laughs> and then I read the first one and I was I was like I can't believe I doubted you.
0: <laughs> I always resist when people are like, "Oh, this is like really good." Things that are really popular, I'm like, mm, "I out I'll like it and then <laughs> and then I get into it I'm like why did I resist so long but then I, I go through the same process again and again so yeah yeah I not learned my lesson <laughs> and Nora Roberts actually owns a bookstore and a bed and
1: breakfast yes this is in Maryland Boonsboro, Maryland
0: all right and so you told me earlier that your first book signing was at her bookstore yes <laughs>
1: This was like one of those moments where I was like, how is this my life? You know, I've been reading Nora Roberts books since I was like, I don't even know how old, like 13, 14 whatever you know and I just I I love the way she tells a story and I I didn't even know for years that she was uh, I live in Pennsylvania and I didn't realize how how close she was so I one year my parents went to her in for their anniversary and then not too many years later I was in her bookstore doing a signing with her and a couple of other authors <laughs> oh my goodness it was wild I'm still like speechless over it it had this was back in February. And it was my very first signing ever. And one of my readers had recommended me to the bookstore. They do these big signings every time Nora has a book release, four times a year usually. And they'll bring in a couple of local authors and then a couple of other romance novelists. And so they said, oh, well, this Lucy score. Okay. Um, have her send us some books and we'll, we'll check her out. So I was like, Oh my gosh, Ah." (laughs) you know, and I packed the box with paperbacks and good vibes. And, um, they emailed me and they were like, Hey, would you like to side with us in February? And then I passed out and woke up the next morning and checked my email and found out it was still there and I didn't dream it and I passed out again. And <laughs> so I said yes. And I had never done any author events before. You know, it's Maryland in February. So who who's going to show up to that for me? Obviously, many people will show up in thermal blankets for Nora Roberts, but who's going to show up for me? So I just like really casually mentioned it in my reader group. And it was pandemonium. I think we had, I'm going to say 50. I think it was a little over 50 people, but they came from all over. People flew in. Oh my God. For this signing, just to see, obviously to see Nora, of course, but to be there for me for my first book signing. And it was... (laughs) I still get goosebumps thinking about it because it was just the most insane experience ever. The bookstore is called Turn the Page, and they are just so incredibly organized and so – I don't know. They, they love books and readers so much that it just turned into this gigantic love fest between my readers and the town and the bookstore and Nora. And they showed up in sweatshirts and t-shirts that said hashtag LucyCon <laughs> <laughs> to Nora Roberts book signing.
0: And she's and like, you're never allowed to come back. How dare you outshine me?
1: <laughs> she was so funny. She kept joking with them. She's like, I'll take a picture with you, but you have to take your shirt off. <laughs> But she's, she's just so dry and so funny. And she just, you know, she, she rolled with it. It was insane. It was really funny. And um, I just, I had the best time. I, I was really nervous. You know, writers are in general, rather introverted. And, you know, my favorite thing to do is sit down my laptop by myself and write. So here I am thinking, oh, okay, um, I'm going to, Go see all these like how I think they do two hundred tickets for the signing. I'm gonna have two hundred readers walking by my table. This is pretty crazy. So I was sitting mm-hmm. in the car, and Mr. Lucy was. We had just pulled into the parking lot, and I was like, I can't get out. I just I can't. It had snowed, and I was. My readers were posting in the Facebook group like, your books are sold out. And I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. You guys are crazy. And I was just sitting there. And I'm like, I don't think I can get out of this car. And because it's like this perfect snowy little parking lot and it's just really quiet. And I'm like, I just, I feel like my life is going to change as soon as I get out of this car. And Tim was like, get out of the car. And I was like, no, no, I think I'm good here. And he's trying to get me out of the car and the back door to the bookstore opens and Nora Roberts walks out in a full length fur coat with a skinniest cigarette you've ever seen. And I, I made a noise like, I'm going to make the noise, so don't laugh, but it was like, <laughs> like deflating balloon, like <laughs> I could not believe, I was like, no, this, this isn't my life, I'm hallucinating all of this. And Tim Tim
0: opens my door. He's like, get out of the car.
1: <laughs> I was so, going
0: to say, he seems organized. Like, he seems like he'd have a gurney ready.
1: Oh, yeah. He was – I was getting in that store no matter what. He would fireman carry me if he had to. <laughs> so we get out of the car and he – we had more books with us. So he grabs a box of books and we walk up onto the porch and she's standing there. And I'm like, hi, where do I go in? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, are you signing? yes is that her voice oh yeah yeah she's got this deep throaty voice are you signing today and I was like yes (laughs) and she said then you go in that door oh my god (laughs) so um yeah that's that was my conversation with Nora Roberts. And it's, there's a reason why you shouldn't speak to your heroes because (laughs) I don't think she would disappoint me, but I cannot behave like normal human being around her. So, so yeah, my first signing was with her. I was signing my own books, 10 feet away from Nora Roberts signing her own books. And just the whole day was this like crazy, my mind was broken. I was so happy. I'm still happy about it.
0: I can tell. No, I mean, it's like amazing story, and I'm sure just the first of your signings, and maybe signings at that bookstore with Nora Roberts. Oh, um, she's gonna maybe she'll show up in the future wearing like the sweatshirt. Oh. <laughs> I would die a million times
1: over. Yeah, she should. She should show up to one of mine wearing a Nora Con
0: yes. sweatshirt. That would be ironic and beautiful. <laughs> I feel like a real like mood killer but uh the obsession
1: yeah, is... yeah. let's talk about
0: some serial killers <laughs> yeah. as a 12 year old our heroine naomi discovers that her father's a serial killer and a rapist and she discovers this by following him into the woods she thinks maybe he has a puppy or a, he's putting a bike together um, so she follows him, but instead discovers that he has a victim down in a cellar beneath a burnt-out shack. Mm-hmm. So obviously this is a life-changing moment, and being the daughter of a notorious serial killer requires her to hide her identity throughout her life and she tries to kind of outrun the morbid curiosity of journalists and most of the people she meets she discovers that when people find out about who she is who she is the daughter of that it kind of changes the relationships in her life so she becomes a nomadic photographer until she falls in love with a dilapidated house in the pacific northwest that has kind of this killer view and she's a photographer so i mean just like the aesthetics of it she can't resist So she undertakes this home renovation project, which starts to put her in contact with more people than she seems to have ever been in contact with (laughs) for an extended period of time. And she is indulging in the beauty of her new community and starting to make friends. And just as it seems that she's putting down roots, maybe even finding love with a sexy mechanic named Xander, women start going missing from the small community. And Naomi once again feels like she'll never be able to escape her father's darkness. Dun, dun, dun. Boom. Yes. Yeah. So this book, it it was so funny because, sorry, it's not funny at all, but, (laughs) (laughs) but. There's some funny
1: scenes. The dog wearing pants.
0: Oh, that's definitely a funny scene. (laughs) The like first, I don't know, like 10 or 15% of the book is Naomi growing up. Mm -hmm. As a romance novel, the romance A is, mm, I mean, it's still a romance novel, but it's like 10% of the plot, Yeah, And you don't even meet the hero until like 25% of the book, I think. Mm -hmm. There's like these giant mood shifts. Like it starts off super dark. The very first scene is her basically discovering that her father is a serial killer. And then like you immerse yourself in this home renovation project. It is like so detailed. I love homes too. And like you love homes. So I mean, like it was like really pleasurable. And it was like watching an episode of HGTV of some show, right? Like Mm -hmm. it was amazing. And then like there was this one scene where the new serial killer makes his first appearance and it's always a dude. This isn't really a surprise that it's a he. And in that scene, I was like, whoa, that was a huge mood shift. Because <laughs> you go from being like, oh, the green sea glass tile and beautiful. Da, 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 and then it's like dead body on the beach. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I really like I feel like everything was super intentional with this book. So yeah, the the first part is so heavy and emotional and dark because I mean, that's that's the whole hook. Imagine you discover your father's a serial killer and you're the one who stops him. Like that's wow. I mean, that's that's a hook right there. But then her putting down roots and starting this renovation, it's such a joyful feeling. And I think that really showcases the character's resilience. I mean, yeah, she, her dad is a horrible human being, but look what she's doing, you know, despite that. So it's it definitely plays into the themes we're going to discuss. But uh, yeah, I, I love the the mood shifts because it's kind of real life, you know you mm-hmm. you dark bad things happen to people, but they also
0: can still continue to enjoy really beautiful happy things right and so when you propose this book one of the themes that you mentioned you wanted to talk about was being a survivor not just a victim yeah so naomi you see particularly in those early childhood growing up scenes between like 12 to 17 ish that she is having to rewrite the script her head like she keeps hearing her father's words in her head and having to challenge those thoughts and recontextualize things that she thought were the truth and so you see that but it's clear by the time we come back to her as an adult she's in her early 30s she is putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward and in many ways she isn't a victim like she has worked really hard to be very savvy learned self-defense and she's very street smart and all of that. But in many ways, she hasn't really processed the trauma as successfully as she thinks she has. Because she's really closed herself off to other people and relationships with other people because she has this idea that she's like tainted.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And that's one of the things that I really liked about the the story. She's a, obviously a very strong, independent character, you know, she's she's successful. She's thriving. She's relatively happy you know she has really solid relationship with her brother and her uncles but she doesn't really have friends she doesn't really have acquaintances and you know that's that's the part of the arc that is really challenged by the introduction of the hero
0: yes so xander spelled with an x oh, love him <laughs> yeah he's like The perfect combination. He's a mechanic, but he... And this is not a contradiction necessarily, but he loves reading. Mm -hmm. He's basically goodwill hunting. Yeah. He's the kind of guy who is very intellectually stimulated by books, but just doesn't really see the value in like a formal education. Yeah. That's just not his bag, but his house... You know, when you were talking about like the bookshelves everywhere in your house, I was like, that sounds like Xander's house. I know. His apartment. Yeah. (laughs) I love... The dude who can, he can change a tire, he can do other car things that I don't even know exist because I don't know anything about cars. (laughs) You know, he's got grease on his arms. I mean, I think that's just (laughs) the proof that he's in there up to his elbows in car grease.
1: And he's going to, he's going to take what's broken
0: and he's going to fix it. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of the emotional arcs of the characters, Naomi has, transforms quite a bit over the course of the book. But I wouldn't say, I mean, Xander is, he finds love for the first time in his life with a romantic relationship love, but he doesn't change much. Like he's pretty much who he is. Right, right.
1: He's, he's a very solid, steady character to begin with. I think he's at a place in his life where he doesn't necessarily need to have this massive sweeping aha moment He's been waiting for the right person mm-hmm. and Naomi happens to be that person. So, And she has the incredible sweeping arc. Um, so I feel like it. sometimes it can be really overwhelming when you're trying to give two characters these massive shifts and show this huge leap of growth for both of them. So I really like that he was like good and steady and that's what she needed the most.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she didn't need a project. Right. (laughs) She was the project. (laughs) Right. And her house and, you know, Mm -hmm. and the dog. (laughs) Think about being a survivor and not a victim, a recent example in the media is Chanel Miller, who, I mean, she's such an amazing example of somebody who, and just for context, this is the woman who was attacked by Brock Turner, and she had a victim statement in the trial that was read and at the time she was anonymous she was Emily Doe and later came out and she's written a book called Know My Name and has really been very out there in not allowing herself to be cast as this nameless victim of Brock Turner, the guy whose swimming scores we apparently need to know in the context of who he is as a person, and yet she just gets erased in that narrative. I think that when you read her story, it's very clear that she was upset by everything like she had all of the normal emotions but i think also was very determined to productively process the trauma yeah and work through it and really analyze understand that when people are victim blaming that that's what's happening and Being able to call them out for that, I don't think that everybody who has been victimized is able to do this or is able to put themselves out there in this way. Every time she puts herself out there, it's not necessarily the easy path, right? Right. There's always the opportunity she could continue to be victimized by people in the world who want to excuse what her attacker did. Yes, and they
1: want to blame her for it. I think she's... uh she was so young when this happened. I am blown away by her ability to I, I think of myself at that age, and I can't imagine being able to write and read a seven thousand word. they called it a victim statement, but an impact statement. I can't imagine doing that and reading it to the face of my attacker. I mean, like I don't know if there's a stronger person that girls should be looking up to because that's just incredible. And I know that she must have, such thick skin by now, because that was the reaction. They were like, the stories were talking about Brock Turner, and he's a swimmer, and these are his swim times. And oh, yeah, by the way, she was super drunk. Mm -hmm. And guess what she was wearing? You know, So it's people are trying to excuse his behavior. They're trying to blame her. I think sometimes victim blaming comes from a place of people trying to reassure themselves that they are never going to be in that situation right you find that a lot with comments on news stories or facebook posts like well i would never allow my child to do this or i would never leave my dryer running when i left the house or whatever they're just trying to calm their own anxieties by saying i wouldn't do this and therefore that bad thing is never going to happen to me but it comes across as this you're to blame and it's your fault that this happened and i think Mm. chanel telling her story has, it has had and will continue to have huge ramifications in sexual assault
0: cases. Mm-hmm. And speaking of people trying to reassure themselves that these things couldn't happen to them, as you said, it's a coping mechanism. The world is random. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying to believe that just somebody with bad intentions could randomly choose you. Mm-hmm. And it's not because of something you did or didn't do. You know, there's maybe no way you could have protected yourself. That's definitely something that is explored in The Obsession. When the second serial killer is choosing his victims, you see just how random the selection process is. Yes. There is sort of a method. He is looking for a particular type you know i don't think it's spoilers to say he's looking for women who bear a resemblance to naomi right when that doesn't work out for whatever reason it's not easy for him to get that kind of victim he'll take whoever's available yeah it's very opportunistic right and one of the things that is explored later is when naomi is basically blaming herself for being the inspiration Mm -hmm. for this serial killer she's reminded no this person was going to do this shit no matter what yeah
1: You were the excuse, not the reason.
0: Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting about her evolution on becoming a survivor and not living her life like a victim, she says at one point, however much I denied it, ignored it, shoved it back, I let myself be his victim. I'm done with that, him being her father. She thought she had moved on with her life, but she closed herself off from every intimate relationship, mm-hmm. other than her brother and uncle and his partner. Mm-hmm. The one quibble I had with this arc is, on the one hand, I get that the supportive community, not just the love story, but also just rewriting the script in her head. I can't have friends, I can't get close to people. Like, is it was a little anti-therapy. Mm. It's the character's point of view that she's anti-therapy, but I also kind of got the sense that it was like, therapy can't solve everything. You need to want to work through it for a reason. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because I think she and her brother both saw therapists for a couple of years after the whole situation, and then she stopped going. I think she felt like, okay, I'm good enough. But she also saw that you know, her mother, who was seeing therapists, therapy wasn't helping her mother. And well, spoiler alert, nothing helped her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, her mom was a victim Naomi and her brother are survivors. Such a huge difference between those characters and the way they processed everything. But yeah, I think therapy patched her up. And I think she just didn't know that she was missing out on relationships. I don't think she realized that she was lonely or that she that she wanted that kind of thing. I think she thought she wanted to be left alone and be um, completely unidentified with the story of her childhood. And I think once she once she started planting roots, that's when she really started thinking, wait, maybe I can have this
0: it just occurred to me, what she realizes that is that she had allowed her father to erase her. Mm-hmm. Again, thinking back to Chanel Miller, know my name, like, I am not just your victim who is a side note in this story. Right. I get to have my own story. I get to have my own life. I get to have my own identity outside of this thing that you decided to do.
1: Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that I really... Th- I was thinking about this as I was rereading this, the book. We always talk about everybody has a story, but I think we all have thousands of stories, you know? And we should never be defined by just one story. I think we're kind of a collection of our stories. We're an anthology, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Naomi, she's not just a serial killer's daughter. She's not just a photographer. She, you know, she's she's a lot of things. And she was allowing one story to determine more of her how she interacted with the world, than other stories. And I think in Chanel's case, she won't. She will not let that story define who she is. Mm-hmm. That will be part of who she is, and, but she's, she's going to have a lot more stories, and she will never just be someone's sexual assault victim.
0: Another theme in this book is the family you choose. So obviously that's important because Naomi really does not want to be either of her parents. Yes, <laughs> right. So her father's a serial killer and serial rapist. And her mother, as you mentioned earlier, basically is continues to allow her husband to manipulate her. Yeah, she's a victim who wasn't able
1: to survive without her abuser. Yes.
0: And it's incredibly sad to watch. hmm She had a supportive family around her. She had support services. And so Seth and Harry are... Seth is Naomi's uncle and Harry is his partner. They get married. They're an amazing couple and they're an amazing role model for Naomi as love existing. Mm -hmm. And she has to be reminded... Later, she's just really down on like, well, I don't know. How can you ever truly know another human being? And everything is temporary and nothing can work out. And Xander's like, um, what about Seth and Harry? They kind of sound fucking fantastic. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I love the role that Xander plays in her like metamorphosis. She's trying to break up with him and tell him that she's tainted. And he's like, okay, is your brother tainted? She's like, no, of course not. He's an amazing human being. He's like, then why do you think you're different? (laughs) And it's just, it's something that's like so common sense and logical you know we all get that but i think we all have those moments where we just don't get it you know we don't get the common sense logic we're we're so ruled by this feeling that we haven't really defined and i just love that he was like okay uh so let's spin it look at it like this so she's like well of course not that's ridiculous and he's like uh yeah it is
0: <laughs> yeah right like you can intellectually know something yes and it doesn't penetrate exactly It happens to me all the time. (laughs) Oh my God, me too. Right, like we're all be like telling somebody something. I'm like, right, like you just kind of da-da-da-da-da. And then I'm like, oh my God, Andrea, listen to yourself. Right? Take your own advice. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I like how intellectual he is about realizing what she's doing. And he's just like, you know, if you really want me to go away, I will. But I don't think that's what's going on here. You're trying to push me away. and, And he realizes that if he can make her angry, he can stop her from panicking. Yes. By channeling that intense emotion into another emotion that she can process yes oh he's i just
1: love xander
0: (laughs) he's so great and there were a couple times where he's just like shut up and i was like like i was getting angry at him (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: i mean well i love that he just instinctively knew the ways to get through her walls to like get to a place where she could hear him or or see him or whatever like the first time he kisses her they're mid conversation and he just like, boom, goes for it. You know, there's no buildup. He's kissing her. And that was the way to get through her defenses. And she, she's not pushing him away. She's, you know, it was, and he just does that over the course of the novel in different situations. He's just, he's, I don't want to say sneaky because that kind of has negative connotations, but he's very creative in his ways of getting her to open up.
0: Yeah, he has a good strategy. Yeah, yeah. He knows when not to push. He discovers who her father is. She kind of like has a tell. Yeah, on his own. Yeah, I loved that. It's almost like a little sleuthy. Like he's like, where was she looking? And he really figures it out. But he knows that he can't mention it to her because she'll just like flip out. Right. And she didn't trust
1: him with the information. So he's not going to bring it up to her until she does trust him. Yeah. He's oh, he is a great hero. He's so swoony, guys. Definitely
0: read it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Just read it. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. read it. There's a part where – so she's a photographer, and she wants to take pictures with bookshelves, and then she's like, oh, let me take pictures of your hands. And – like, oh, stand over there. Like, there's several times where she gets really into photographing him. And he's always like, I feel ridiculous, but I'm going to do it. All right. Like, I'm game. And I love this tough guy. He rides a motorcycle. He's a mechanic. He's in a band. Right. And I love the tough guy who will allow the heroine to do things that are not his normal thing because he's, he's like i trust you you're a fantastic photographer so if you think this is good i will believe you i'm not gonna doubt you and i will go along yeah with it.
1: he's really comfortable kind of turning himself over to her which i think is a like a huge turn on also like you get the bad boy who is willing to do anything for you that's that's hot my friends <laughs> oh for sure for sure <laughs> So do you have any final thoughts on this book? It's so emotionally satisfying. And I, I want to say like so much of the book is very happy and feel goody. Like obviously there's dark subject matter and there's murders and stuff. <laughs> but there's so much in it that is so warm and fuzzy I I think the balance is what really gets me so you have pretty low lows but really high highs she comes at this woman who has never had any roots before bought this house and she's renovating it and she's kind of like bemused by the whole situation like I still don't know what I was thinking and then she comes across this Dog that's on the side of the road and he's malnourished and she's like I don't want a dog I'm I'm not keeping this dog and she of course ends up keeping the dog and the dog is just this really sweet funny sidekick her photographer like I love her career I I just love to see heroines with this fascinating career that is something out of the norm and I love that she's so good at it
0: oh there's so much competency porn with oh, her yes. photography and. And everyone's like, oh, Naomi, you have such an eye for, like, everything. <laughs> and she's like, I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, and the cooking. I love that she's, oh, yeah. like, this amazing cook and that Xander's really appreciative of it. Like, she she's making him a meal just kind of spontaneously. And he's watching her and he's just so impressed and obsessed. And, like, I, I love how he's constantly impressed by her. Yes. I think That's such a –
0: I don't know. That's such a cool relationship dynamic. (laughs) I've thought about this a lot, and I don't know if I've, like, fully explored it on the podcast before, but it's, like, the idea of somebody seeing you. Yes. I think that's just the core of why romance is so appealing, and every book is exploring, like – Here is this unique person, here's what makes this person special, and here is this other person who's appreciating that, who sees it, who recognizes it, who wants that. Yeah.
1: They want all of that. Yeah. I mean, that's such a universal human want. I think some people get down on the ugly duckling tropes or whatever, but, you know, I think everybody just wants to be seen for who they are, not not necessarily their potential, but who I am right now. You want somebody to be able to look at you and be like, there you are. I've been waiting
0: for you. Right. Yes. And Xander does that in spades. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of their dynamic, I mean, it's not like other people haven't recognized how great Xander is before. Right right as we discussed it was her arc it was her emotional arc so like finding somebody who really knew how to handle her Mm -hmm. and saw her and what she needed he was there with what she needed yeah every step of the way oh you need me to back off done you need me to be in your face and make you angry done you need me to manipulate you into keeping this dog (laughs) already done (laughs) oh my god it was so good thank you for suggesting this book honestly would never have picked it up Myself, <laughs> not because the premise wasn't good, but I think it's a little outside of my normal, yeah. well-trodden. Yeah, path. and
1: and you know, it sounds like it's going to be this really heavy, angsty read. And when you finish it, you're like so emotionally satisfied. You know, it, it's just one of those. Uh, to me, it's like the perfect story. So I'm glad that you gave me a platform to blab all about it. This was. Going back to Nora Roberts' bookstore, my readers had asked, you know, what's your favorite Nora book? So, of course, I tell them all about this book. So when I actually walked into that store on the morning of the signing, Janine, the bookstore manager, walks up to me. She's like, hi, nice to see you. Where are your books? And you need to pick a new favorite Nora book because we sold out of the obsession. (laughs) Oh, my God. And I was like, well, of course you did because it's the best book in the entire universe. So... (laughs)
0: I started reading it digitally and then I went to a used bookstore and I found it and I was like, oh my god, this is a big book. Mm -hmm. And I kind of didn't realize it. It was flying by. Yeah. It's really well paced. Right. I mean, it's like a two inch thick mass market paperback. Oh, yeah. It's meaty. Yeah. Go read it, everybody. (laughs) Grab it now. You can thank us later. Let's do... Angst, heat, and humor ranking. Oh gosh, okay. On the obsession. Okay, so this is a one to five scale. Okay. Five being the most. What would you rank the obsession for angst? Okay, so this is
1: obviously super subjective, but I'm really sensitive to angst. Like, I'm one of those, I read the Hunger Games and like moped around for a week afterwards, feeling like, why do I even want to be in this world? So, for me, I'm going to say that the angst in this is like, I'm going to say it's a 3.5 because it was so balanced by how much good stuff was in it, like how much happiness, how much lightness and brightness and, and hope there was in the story. I feel like it balanced the dark out really well. How about you? What do you think?
0: I think that sounds about right. It wasn't a constant pervasive sense of angst. Yeah. Okay. Cool. There were large stretches where there was no angst. Yes. It was yeah. like this tile or that tile. That was the <laughs> hardest decision that was being made. So I, I agree. What about heat? So sexiness. Sexiness.
1: Ugh. I'm going to say a f- – okay, I hate people who have scales of one to five and they never use a five. So I'm going to say a five for this
0: because
1: oh. it was a slow burn which I love. I love a nice slow build up. I thought their first kiss was super super hot cuz he just swoops in there and goes for it and I I love that kind of thing, you know. He was reading the signals and he went for it. I loved that. Their first time together was Oh, awesome. Like I loved the build up to that because he follows her out to the parking lot. She was at the bar watching him his band play. Oh my god, so hot. And of course that's like really steamy and then they've been kind of dancing around this will they won't they and he's he's like, "Yeah, we will. We're going to. We we have this connection." And she's like, "No, I don't I'm not I'm not looking for anything." But he's he's so confident. And then he tells her he's like, "I'm coming over tonight if you want me to come in, leave the light on." I was
0: so tense. And
1: the next scene is her. Oh my god, her debating for like however many pages of on off, on off, on off. And then so she leaves it on and it's it's firetown, guys. I mean, I obviously there's dirtier sexier books out there, but I loved I loved the slow build and I loved just how everything came together. So I'm going to say 5. The sex scenes in this book
0: are not super explicit. Right. They're not crazy graphic. They're Kind of poetic. Right. And there's really only like, I don't know, two scenes that are described and then the rest mm-hmm. are implied. But I'm coming around to thinking more about the slow burn, the sexual tension that is building and giving that more weight in my own assessments of things because it's like without that sexual tension and... And the building, if you just like go right into it and there's nothing building up to it, it really loses all the sizzle.
1: Yeah, it's a fine line to walk because, you know, if your characters start off having a one night stand and it's super hot, then you're going to have to have some kind of secondary build up between them because you've already taken them to that point. So I totally agree. I, I think slow burns are like foreplay for readers, you know?
0: Yeah, and always more foreplay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Always. So, what about humor? Humor, I'm going
1: to say like a three, a three, 3.5, maybe, um, because the banter, I, the dialogue in this book is so solid. I mean, this is, especially when Xander's talking to his best friend, or, you know, there. it's just, this is the way real guys talk to each other. I, and I love that. Um, so, I just found a lot of humor in. The character interactions I loved Naomi's uncles and how they just fussed over Naomi and Mason the dog you know mm-hmm. her not really <laughs> wanting to have a dog and then you know the dog h- gets fixed and she puts him in a pair of pants because he won't leave his stitches alone <laughs> and then, you know there's there's a lot of lightness in this so it's not it's not a slapstick comedy you're not gonna like fall over snort laughing but there's like real life lightness to it so
0: that's my vote agree and we don't have to agree but i agree oh thank goodness
1: i feel validated
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's all we want i see you thank you you're right thank you (laughs) you Now we're ready to pull into Trope Town. And Lucy, you rehearsed this earlier. Yeah. Can you give me a train noise? I can. I live near a train track,
1: so it's I can't, you know, do the crashing sounds that happen at the crossings, but, you know, it's, woo, woo. And then sometimes there's two intersections really close to us, so it's just this, like, four-minute long, woo. <laughs> it's a perma-train whistle. That actually sounds pleasant it is it is very nice background noise thank you very
0: much i appreciate that you're welcome so on trope town today we are going to give book recommendations for characters who are artists so romance novels in which one at least one of the main characters is an artist Lucy, what have you got for us today? So two that I have read that I really enjoyed, Catherine
1: Nolan's Strictly Professional. Roxy is a tattoo artist running her own studio in New York. And she I love the artsy side of tattooing. Like Catherine made, well, Catherine made everything in this book super sexy. So Roxy is this like rough around the edges tattoo artist and she meets Edward who's this buttoned up, British guy who runs a fancy hotel and he shows up in her uh, tattoo studio drunk and he's demanding a tattoo. So it's like opposites attract and there's all this business stuff and crazy family dynamics. But I just loved the the art behind the tattoos and just the way Catherine Nola wrote it. She's such a steamy, steamy author, but also very poetic. So I, it was just a really, really satisfying read. And then I had Sky Jordan's Reckless, which is book number one in her Renegade series. And Lexi is a custom wedding dress designer, so I thought that was a really cool Ooh. spin on the artist because there's so much creativity and design that goes into you know the dress that somebody is going to wear on the most important day of their life. And she ends up with, gosh, I think I'm really into rough around the edges, but she <laughs> she meets Jax, a stunt man and actually they start off as a one night stand in the beginning her reputation is under scrutiny because of where she's trying to take her business and everything so I love artists as main characters Nora Roberts has several other books with artists as main characters and I just I eat that stuff up I think that's like such a cool job to me
0: it is. I remember a lot of the early guidelines about male characters in romance novels were like, don't make him an artist. <laughs> Readers aren't into males who are artists. Like, it's not sexy Ugh, enough. And
1: that's so wrong.
0: It is so wrong. And I think that a lot of the recommendations that I have from listeners are heroines who are artists. I do have one that is a hero, but I know that there are more and more heroes out there who are artists. I will say it it does seem like you're much more likely to find like 90% of the artists in romance novels are going to be the heroine. But like let's change that people cuz a man who's an artist is well, like Well there sexy. is
1: there is one in particular that I loved. It's a uh, Chesapeake Blue by Nora Roberts and the guy in it is this painter and he's kind of becoming this famous painter. And when he comes home to his hometown in Maryland, he meets Drew, who's – she's new in town. She's from the city, but she just opened this florist business. So she is, like, doing all this, like, color and texture with flowers, but he paints her, and it's so mm. perfect. You know, like, that's – yeah, I'm into that. Talk
0: about seeing mm. you. Yeah, yes. And this is how I see yeah. you.
1: Ooh. Yeah, that's, like, that's literally the book. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow.
0: Um, okay, so here are listener suggestions for books to check out where the characters are artists. And I just realized it's like all contemporaries. So lots of contemporary artists. <laughs> so Kelly from Boobies and Newbies. Woo! What is this like reference number three? <laughs> <laughs> She's all over the. Hi this Kelly. Episode.
1: Hi Kelly's mom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she was very excited that you were going to be on the show. So she suggested "Flashed" by Zoe Castile, Ooh. and the heroine is a painter. And from reading the description, I got the sense that it was like Beauty and the Beast meets Magic Mike. Ooh, sign me up! Yeah, and this is this is in a series that is all sort of inspired by Magic Mike. It's like they're they're all like male strippers, I guess. Wow. All, the, all the guys. Yeah, so that's a cool series by Zoe Castile. And then we have Denise Williams, who is going to be on the show soon. She recommended Pacific Blue by Christina Lucky, And the heroine is a sea life sculptor. He's sort of like this mercenary businessman who buys the art gallery. And it's the art gallery where she is showing her work. And he gives her a choice to work for him or quit. I'm sensing a little bit of like office romance. Like, oh, forbidden. She's my employee. I'm totally guessing, but (laughs) it sounds good. (laughs) And then we've got uh, Hannah is a palindrome suggested serving pleasure by Alicia Rye. The hero is an artist Uh and their neighbors, I believe there's a sex pact like let's just do this once. And then they're like, no, let's just do this a couple more times. And I think there's a little bit of voyeurism aspect into it as well. Sweet. Yes. And so then we have Fiona West recommended Beard in Mind by Penny Reed. And I have actually read this one. The heroine oh. is a sculptor and she's neurodiverse. And the heroine undergoes this like really intense exposure therapy over the course of the book. Wow. And the hero is the bearded ginger owner of an auto body and he helps her. Ooh. He helps her out. Yeah. that's That's a good one. It's like pretty intense and yeah another kind of like sexy like mechanic and she's also a mechanic she's like a mechanic slash sculptor it's kind of like this crossover where she has this like very utilitarian oh. way of expressing her art where she's like well i can just like cast a part that a special part that you need for this car. no big deal just being awesome everywhere and th- but then also like creates these beautiful sculptures <laughs> she's like a world-renowned sculptor so it's super cool Let's do Hot Damn No Ma'am.
1: Yes. I'm ready. I'm prepared.
0: Are you ready? Are you so yeah. do ready? Do I have to make another train noise? <laughs> no. I'm trying to think what the noise for Hot Damn No Ma'am, just like fanning Maybe yourself. like
1: like a sizzling
0: skillet or something.
1: Ooh, can you do a sizzling skillet? I don't think I can.
0: <laughs> oh, that was, that was good. No, that was good. Oh, thank you. I'll go submit it to a stock sound site later. (laughs) I'll make it I'm gonna make it my ringtone. Yes. Hot Damn No Ma'am was created by Esme Brett of Feminist Romance on episode four of the Shelf Love podcast and thank you Esme for allowing me to continue to play this game with my guests. In this game we pull some book specific tropes or situations or character elements and then we give our personal feelings on if we think it is hot or not and why. So for every one of these We are gonna give a hot damn or a no ma'am and why. So our first one is true crime books. Hot damn. Yeah. All right, why is it a hot damn for you? I don't know. I'm immediately
1: convinced that it's a hot damn, but now now I'm I'm doubting my my reasons.
0: (laughs) I mean, I guess we we kind of went there with this already, right? It's like
1: Yeah yeah. First of all, it's kind of voyeuristic, you know, like you're Mm -hmm. there's something that people are attracted to about these crazy or gory crimes, you know, and, but there's also something to be said for dissecting it and learning everything that happened behind the scenes, you know, behind the headlines. I used to, I was a journalism major, so I'm super nosy and I used to work for newspapers. uh, So I've always been really big on news coming in and knowing what was happening and uh, like understanding it. So I think that's part of why that would be a big hot damn for me. I love knowing inside information that, you know, not everybody else has, Mm. which makes me sound like a weirdo. So
0: (laughs) no, we're all special. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a hot damn for me, too. I think for very much the same reasons.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
0: you're not a weirdo, but you are still special.
1: I mean, maybe
0: we're just both weirdos. (laughs) I mean, we are all weird together. (laughs) Um, What about a partner in a band? Oh,
1: hot damn. Yeah. I don't even care if it's a marching band, you guys. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, I used to be in a marching band. Me too. <laughs> oh, what did you play? I played the flute.
1: Such a snooty instrument. What did you play? The flute.
0: Oh my God.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. My mom is a flute teacher. <gasps> That's amazing. So you were probably actually good. Oh, no. No, I... I wasn't good at all. The only reason I played flute was because there were flutes in my house and so it was easily accessible. Right. You didn't have to get a different instrument. Yeah, I, I just learned the bear I just liked hanging out with the band kids. So mm-hmm. I just had to I just had to find a reason to be there. This is so crazy. I was just thinking about this last night. I was
1: thinking about quitting things versus sticking with them and for some reason I feel like it was in conjunction with this whole whole conversation, but now I can't find the thread of it. But so in my school in third grade, that's when they introduced instruments. And that's when I chose the flute just randomly. So basically, historically, you start in the third grade and you keep going. You just play that instrument until you are you graduate. Mm-hmm. And I got mono, I think my junior year of high school. And I had an argument with my marching band, the, the band teacher. He was going through a divorce at the time and he was like this horrible monster oh. grump guy in the classroom. Like he was taking it out on everybody. And I, so I had mono and I had just come back to school, but I I was still really tired all the time so um, it was during marching band practice i was just too tired so i talked to the second teacher and she said it was fine if i we were doing like two a day marching band practices which is so geeky so she's like yeah it's fine just go rest and come back for the second one so i came back for the second practice and he accused me of like deserting the marching band and he said that i didn't ask permission to leave and therefore for the for the first semester of my senior year, I was going to be the marching band equipment manager. <laughs> and I said, fine, then I quit. <laughs> so <laughs> like any reasonable person would, oh, you're going to punish me. Uh, okay, bye. I was like, no, I, I'm not Packing drums in a van, I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. So I quit marching band and concert band and the lessons that I was supposed to go to like once a week. And I felt really, really good about that decision.
0: Good. I think that quitting is underrated as a thing that- I agree. You're making a decision to prioritize your time somewhere else. And I think too often people- have a hard time understanding that saying yes to one thing means saying no saying to something no else to other
1: stuff yeah
0: right you can't Absolutely. say yes to everything yeah what did you say yes to your senior year um gosh reading more books boys i guess boys i mean that's fine <laughs>
1: no i i just i think i spent more time with friends and there was just something so freeing about, I don't know if I ever enjoyed playing the flute. I enjoyed spending time with the people, my friends who were in band, but I didn't enjoy the actual instrument or the actual music. So I, you know what I probably did? I just read more. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to get up early on Saturday mornings and drive to parades that I didn't want to be in. You know, so I... I read more and had more fun my senior year because i let go of something that i
0: didn't enjoy good for you (laughs) thanks thank you (laughs) i think all juniors in high school listening to this podcast with parental supervision should definitely make the same what are you going to say yes to 17 year old
1: yeah think about that guys think about
0: it right i think it goes about saying i mean like partner in a band like Mm. somebody who's like really interested in something bands are pretty sexy I mean I come at me if yeah if you do not think a band is sexy right
1: I would I would be concerned about your welfare if, yeah. if you did not think that being in a band was sexy
0: yeah I think okay actually no now I'm going to contradict myself okay <laughs> so so here's here's the only part about this is I feel like this is one of those things like dating a doctor mm. it sounds really like cool in theory but then in practice it's like if you are not the type of person who like somebody in a band is like probably going to be out kind of late and right you know they have band practice and
1: yeah the reality of it is going to be a lot different than the fantasy of it so i'm saying definite hot damn to the fantasy i'm gonna withhold judgment on the whole reality of dating someone in a band because there's potential for a lot of problem read any rock star romance and you you know, we'll, we'll figure out, we'll tease out those problems pretty fast. Like my next book is a a firefighter romance and, oh, firefighter hot, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know what a firefighter schedule is, (laughs) especially in a small town? You know, there's, Mm. there's something to be said for the fictionalization of fantasies where we can, Just enjoy
0: them and not actually have to live with the consequences. (laughs) Oh, agree completely. (laughs) What about nonstop major home renovations? Hot damn. Hot damn.
1: Yeah, that's a total jam for me. I mean, uh, and again, the reality of it is a total dumpster fire. (laughs) Nobody feels sexy when you're walking on plywood floors and trying not to step on drywall and nails. But being involved with somebody who can do that or, you know, the actual physical process of creating the house that you dreamed of, that's hot. Mm. That's super hot.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like, I'm not bothered by the tumult of situations like that. It's totally a hot damn for me. I love – being able to make a space completely your own. And I think nothing does that more completely than a major home renovation where you're like, I'm going to touch every single thing here and make it what I want. Mm, Yes.
1: Yeah. Like the reveals on Fixer Upper. Oh, I know that's just, and you walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is my space. This was created for me. Right. I do have a funny, like, (laughs) so on the, uh, on the real life side of that, after we moved into this house, we were finishing our basement and, you know, Mr. Lucy's pretty busy with publishing and everything. So he hired a crew to do it. So there was a period of time, I think it was like two weeks. I was behind on a deadline. We had a construction crew in our basement and we had another construction crew doing our deck and patio at the same time. So our house was like crawling with people and my office is in the front of the house and there's no doors <laughs> and i just remember having this total like internal meltdown of i am never going to finish this book if i have to keep stopping and talking to all these people or listening to all this noise so i actually locked myself in a closet on the second floor of the house in a guest room we have a, a guest room with like a this weird random walk-in closet i took a bunch of pillows a blanket and a bag full of Panera and I locked myself in the closet to write. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I didn't tell Mr. Lucy where I was. So he he was out for the day. And when he came back, he opens the door and he peeks in and he's like, is this the beginning of a breakdown? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. But you know what? I, I finished that book. You've just got like broccoli cheddar <laughs> yeah, on your face. Yeah, I was a,
1: I was a mess. My, it was it was pretty amazing. But I finished the book. I
0: did what I had to do. <laughs> you made it happen. Good for you. Yeah. And may I say, the picture of your kitchen in your author photos, I'm like, oh, my God, I want that kitchen so good. Oh, thank you. That's I, I love our kitchen. And uh, Mr.
1: Lucy picked out everything in, in it. So, I mean, the dark cabinets and we have um, qu- white quartz uh, countertops and this, like, crazy quartz like backsplash but yeah it's it's just i walk in there i'm like this is this is somebody
0: else's kitchen this
1: is this is mm. a nice person's kitchen
0: <laughs> yeah i was also admiring the lighting oh was yeah. like yeah what are they pewter or something yeah those were really cool everybody go look at lucy score's author photo yeah, go go check and it out. And look at her kitchen. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe you could just maybe next video, kitchen tour,
1: please. Yeah, I'll do a kitchen tour. I'll be like, this is where the magic sometimes happens, or more often the smoke detectors go off. I love cooking, but our, <laughs>
0: our sensors are too close to the to the oven. Oh. <laughs> Somebody should have fixed that. I know. <laughs> so, Lucy, thank you so much for joining me today. This was fantastic.
1: Thank you for having me. This was awesome. I had a great time.
0: I love talking romance oh thank you yes and so you said you're working on a book with a firefighter when can we expect to see that in our kindle that is coming out early january early january okay that's not far off no i'm really excited it's
1: done and ready to go so and i can't wait i was uh just going back through it to pull some lines for teasers and and things like that and i'm like oh i love these characters so much oh and have you announced the title yet Um, not officially. No, not yet.
0: Okay. All right. I will, I will wait. When's this coming out? (laughs) Um, probably not until mid to late November. Okay. Okay. So I can, I'll tell, I'll tell you (gasps) that. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. It's
1: called Protecting What's Mine. Ooh. Yeah.
0: I like that. I like the possessiveness.
1: Yeah, me too. In the me title. Too. And it's like the the two main characters are both first responders. So they're, you know, they both have these high adrenaline jobs and there's a lot of heroics and I just, I had a blast writing this. I,
0: I loved the research for this book. It was really cool. Did you have to go hang out in, in fire stations with sexy men? I am more of a... <laughs> I
1: always thought I was doing it wrong because I'm like, you know, I spent so many years interviewing people. I was like, I never want to interview another person again as long as I live. So I'm super sneaky. I I love the internet for all the research. First of all, I got totally hooked on Air Ambulance ER episodes. They're all on like YouTube, and I think I think they're streaming somewhere too. Um, So that's all like. Uh, these flight trauma surgeons in helicopters in the UK. That was just amazing. And then I started a reader group called Help a Lucy Out. And so (laughs) anybody with access to or experience as a first responder could join. And then I would post questions in there as I was writing. And one of my readers, her dad was or is a fire chief and her brother is a full-time firefighter. So I actually got to ask them a crap ton of questions so it was it was pretty cool <laughs> that is so
0: smart just crowdsource thank you thank
1: you yeah because you know what is what I learned is what happens in one fire department in one town is totally different from the way another one will do it so I'm kind of mentally prepared I get I get messages occasionally this isn't my experience with this and but I think that's kind of the point of books is to open you up to experiences that aren't necessarily your own so I know that I tried to be as uh, realistic as I could with the especially the rescue scenes in this book but I know it's still going to be a little different from what other people have experienced but yeah that's okay
0: it's cool yeah no I I agree completely it's that is what romance novels are. I mean, books in general, but also romance novels. Like, somebody else's life, somebody else's experience, somebody else's love story. Exactly. Like, for instance, did you know a lot of new fire
1: departments won't put poles in their oh. in their station houses because there were a lot of injuries? <laughs> but then there's some that still use them and some that have never had them. So it's, it's pretty funny. I read an article about how one small town fire department, um, they got a call and their chief broke his tibia or something like he broke his leg pretty bad going down the pole and they ended up having to call in a different fire department oh to handle the initial call because they were basically triaging his broken leg
0: <laughs> oh my god <sighs> that's okay well i can't wait to read this book right i'm sure you did you, did you weave that in there somehow <laughs>
1: I do have a – I believe that made it into the story.
0: <laughs> oh, Perfect. It might perfect. just be a
1: mention, uh, but yeah, it's I'm pretty sure it's in there.
0: <laughs> thanks for listening to episode 12 of Shelf Love, a romance novel book club. I want to say a huge thanks to Lucy Score for joining me on this episode. I'm going to post a link in the show notes to the picture Mr. Lucy took of Lucy while recording this episode. You can learn more about Lucy by visiting her website lucyscore.net or finding her on social media at scorelucy on Instagram, where you can get lots of shots of her beautiful kitchen and other stuff, or on Twitter at lucyscore1. She's definitely my favorite Lucy Score, so the username checks out. You can find me on social media at ShelfLovePodcast on Instagram and at ShelfLovePod on Twitter you can always reach me directly at andrea at shelflovepodcast.com. And if you'd like to get occasional updates, you can sign up for my email list on the website, shelflovepodcast.com. Here's what's coming up on future episodes. On the next episode, Steve Amidown, archivist from the Bowling Green State University Brown Pop Culture Library, joins me to discuss The Bromance Book Club by Lissa K. Adams. It's a contemporary second chance romance that breaks Romancelandia's fourth wall. Then Fumi from When Fumi Met Romance, and I get into therapy, healing, and growth when we discuss Equivalent Exchange, which is a super hot contemporary by Christina C. Jones, and it's a workplace romance at a brewery. After that, Norma Perez Hernandez and I get trope as we discuss recovery, sweet dogs, and moving upstate after reading Sanctuary by Rebecca Weatherspoon. There's only one bed. Sometime around the end of the year, I will be doing a superlatives episode. On this episode, I will be sharing listener-suggested, highly specific categories, especially made for the romance novel that you enjoyed reading this year. Here's an example that I threw out. Best Pining Blacksmith. If you're a loyal listener to the podcast, you know that that's my fetish. Amazingly, this wasn't even specific enough because B and her books came up with not one, but two examples. They were Tessa Dare's Beauty and the Blacksmith and Talia Hibbert's That Kind of Guy. If you'd like to suggest a category and book pairing for the superlatives of 2019 episode, drop me a line on social media or email me at andrea at shelflovepodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend, your mom, your coworkers, whoever you think might be interested. You might be surprised who would enjoy this podcast. Until next time, bye! Shelf Love is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media podcasts.